Welcome to Inside Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Bell Tell, with me, Neve Campbell, me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McKendrick. With expert analysis and special guests, let's kick off. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Inside Ulster, the Bell Tells Rugby Podcast. I'm Jonathan Bradley, the Belfast Telegraph's rugby correspondent. Neve Campbell is out today, but as ever, I am joined by my colleague Adam McKendry, and this week we will be talking the good, the bad and the ugly from Ulster's win over Zebra. I'll look ahead to the daunting trip to the RDS to face Leinster and we'll be answering your listener questions too. We'll just get straight into it, Adam. Uh, Zebra, I'll put it to you this way, were you... As unimpressed as Roddy Grant or as impressed as Don McFarland? I thought you were going to give me a chance to introduce myself first, but uh, or not introduce myself, but just say hello. But um, uh, That's a good question. I mean, I think at the time, both of us, and I say both of us, I mean, everyone in the press box, we were kind of all on the same page whenever we were sort of feeling like we were very unimpressed with how Ulster were playing. Like, the first 10 minutes were outstanding it's possibly the best rugby Ulster have played all year and then everything after that was just a little bit flat certainly the best try they scored all year oh I completely agree and I'm sort of thinking you probably have to go back to maybe the one against Claremont for for the best one before that so it, it was a great start but I don't know if Ulster sort of took their foot off the gas or if Zebra kind of woke up a little bit and started to play a bit but I wasn't thrilled, but something that James Hume said whenever we were doing media on, on Monday sort of resonated with me, which was, you've been doing non-contact training for three weeks, you're without your internationals for three weeks, you're just kind of ticking on by while all the internationals are going on, then you're trying to ramp it back up again for this game against Zebra, which with the best will in the world, and as we discussed last week, it's not the barn burner that you're really, you know, the one that you really get yourself up for. So in terms of like a game to get the rust out of the system, it's the perfect game. You get your bonus point before half time. you ring a few changes, you get handy back, uh, you, you get a few more guys on to, to give them a bit of game time. It's actually not a bad way to sort of ease yourself back in after the internationals. You know, if you played Leinster in that first game, there's a good chance you're having a pretty big score put on you. The scheduling has I been quite... Leinster would be equally rusty would be the argument as well. Well, they, did, they didn't quite look as rusty as Ulster did whenever <laughs> they played Glasgow. So How was that extra day? Um, <laughs> yeah. So... I think, look, you can't sit there and say you're happy with that performance because there was so much rust in it and there were so many areas where Ulster needed to get better. But the old adage is you can only play what's in front of you. You can only play the context you're in. And coming out of the Autumn Internationals, just get a win on the board, get the bonus point on the board, keep that momentum going. You're up to second in the table and you're now going in with one week under your belt down to the RDS this week. So... I'm, I I always hate falling in the middle of answers where it's both a yes and a no. But I think in, in the context, am I happy with the performance? No, because I think Ulster fell a long way short of what they expect of themselves and what we as journalists know that they are capable of performing at. But also I think they'll be happy enough that it was Zebra they were playing and they've just had that week out of the way and they're back 
on this uh, on the fixture list, essentially. Yeah, I mean, for I suppose people that haven't heard the interviews that we referenced at the start there, Roddy Grant was obviously speaking immediately after the game. And Dan McFarland was speaking on the Monday afternoon, so had three days sort of to reflect upon the performance. And I think that's probably a lot of why you saw those two sort of differing reactions, because you have Roddy Grant, who in the immediate aftermath is focusing on all those things that you said that uh, that went wrong, you know, the discipline, the breakdown, the that element of letting uh, your foot off the gas when it looked like you were probably going to put 10 tries on them at the start. Whereas with three days to uh, sort of step back and look at the bigger picture, you see Dan McFarland yesterday on Monday afternoon focusing on more what they did well and attack those things that you mentioned, getting the rust out of the system getting Henderson back and the fact that while it was against the worst team in the in the in the league, it was still a bonus point win by half time where he scored six tries and had another try chalked off that probably on most days doesn't get chalked off. But I did notice something and I'm I'm gonna try and find it as I'm talking here. Um but I think that was only the second time this season that Ulster have scored ten points or less in the second half now yeah so, sorry uh, with the second the, time being the game before that presumably against Munster uh, sorry it's it's the third because you have uh, Leinster at home and Munster away so you know the, w- whenever you look at the fact that they scored two tries in the first 10 minutes you know they were what was it 12-0 up uh, so early in the game and they scored what would that have been 24 points for the rest of the game so what they scored in the first 10 minutes they only managed to you know get double of that in the final 70 and arguably you know as the game goes on that's as you're shaking more of the rust off and as you're starting to get back in your flow as as you get back into into game mode essentially so you know uh, there is a degree of I think Ulster probably are coming away from that game with a lot to work on but also you know, you're you're looking at being happy enough with sort of in the context of how you're coming out of this game. Like for me, sitting here, we know Ulster's Mall is good, and I, I've said for a long time, if you have a weapon like that, use it. You know, don't don't think that you can't use it just because you're going to be looked at negatively. But equally, you know, three tries out of six came from Malls. They would have had four from seven if John Andrew hadn't changed his bind. Um, it it, st- it still feels like Ulster's go-to is the mall, and I think there are teams that will work it out a lot quicker than Zebra, and they need to find ways to score whenever the... It, it's it's not at its peak capacity. I suppose the proof's in the pudding in the next couple of weeks there, because Leinster are obviously going to have a better mall defence than Zebra, but whenever you're talking about La Rochelle coming in uh, the next home game... It will take something different to maul against the side that contains the likes of Will Skelton, you know. So uh, I would say that's maybe a concern that would definitely be something that would be revisited later on if they struggle for traction against La Rochelle, because then you are talking about sort of in a similar way to what we've the discourse that's been around Leinster in really I suppose the last three or four seasons since uh, since twenty eighteen is how differently or how much better do you need to play against the better sides, which is the size that you're going to be playing 
when silverware is on the line, not necessarily in December, but those types of sides that you're going to be playing in, uh, well, May this year. How much better do you have to play? I mean, you, I'd focus. Sorry, I'd focus more on how much differently do you think you have to play because you're talking about ways to score. So, how differently do you think Ulster would need to find ways to score? I think they just need to have multiple avenues to the try line. Like that—that's that's the biggest thing, and they've shown that. Like this, this isn't me saying that they can only score through the mall because they showed on. Friday night that they can score in other ways like that second try was superb the the handling and and the running lines were were fantastic but you know in the big games in the past you know like the the monster game even though they won it it just felt like there was one way to the try line for Ulster and that was through them all and if it wasn't working then monster were able to stop them quite easily so for me, for Ulster, I th- I think they took a step forward on Friday night, and that they they did show that they have other ways to score. But again, you've got to take in the context of the opposition. Like Zebra were purr for especially in those first ten minutes, but for the rest of the game, they were purr as well. But for me, in a big game, I want to see Ulster just just show that they know how to break these teams down. I don't think we've seen Ulster break down a big team probably since the uh probably since the Toulouse game back in in the Champions Cup. It's real shade against Monster that you're throwing there but uh well, I don't look, think we have any listeners down there so it'll be fine. Well look I'm I, I'm not even gonna, I I am going to argue that like Mon- I, no. I Mon- Monster last year were not a good Monster team. Monster were abject in that uh, yeah. quarter final like it was one of the worst knockout performances that I can ever remember seeing from a visiting side to Rivenhill. I was going to say that I can never remember seeing, but sure, the Leinster-Glasgow uh, game was the same weekend, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> at least at least Glasgow were improving based on uh, last yeah, weekend's yeah. evidence. Um, so, yeah, like, as I said, it, like, I, I, whenever Ulster's mall is so good, don't stop using it. You know, if, if you're going to score four mall tries a game... You're guaranteed to score four mall tries again. Use it, absolutely. It's not the most attractive rugby, but if you're winning games, fans don't care, players don't care, coaches don't care. But f- for me, I think people get too fixated on the fact that the mall is working that they forget that it it isn't as effective in the big games. And then whenever you get to the big games, and Ulster's mall comes up against a big pack like La Rochelle's, like uh, Sale are going to have a big pack, Leinster are going to have a big pack. So those are your next three games. You're not going to get the same purchase from the mall. It might work once, and you might get one try from it, but I can guarantee you you're not mauling over three times against those teams. So where is your plan B? Have we seen enough from Ulster that they have a plan B that is going to work over the next three weeks and and into January as well. You know, the big games extend beyond that. But have we seen enough from them that their plan B is good enough to get them over the line whenever plan A stops working? And for me, even though we saw it against Zebra, I don't think Zebra are the calibre of opposition where you can say, yeah, we've managed to sort this out. I think we've got to see it over the next three weeks that it's working. Otherwise, you've got to start asking questions about you know, how are Ulster trying to break these teams down? Look, 
when it, whenever you look at that try on on Friday night, Matty Rice try, if Ulster can replicate that, they will break defenses down. Like that, that is a good try. But we haven't seen that enough from them this season. So that for me is the asset test. We we know that their pack has been going well. The scrum has a bit of work to do, but the line out and the mall have been outstanding. They now need to sort of bring other aspects into it to kind of boost that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I suppose to play devil's advocate or to play Dan Soper, perhaps, you would point back towards the Northampton game last season, the Munster game, which I do accept what you're saying. It was a bad Munster performance. The Toulouse game in Toulouse, you know, there were a lot of times last season when Ulster were firing on all cylinders where I did think we saw something more and it was against those better teams, those bigger teams because let's face it, you know, Ulster beat Munster in a knockout game, they beat Leinster twice and they won their first five games in Europe last year. So Ulster didn't really have the same big game problem that we've seen in the past last year. Like they weren't flat track bullies last year, like they beat good teams but Obviously, I completely take your point that what you know you're talking about this season. So what we're mm-hmm. going to see is, do we see it in the next three weeks, rather than going back to games that were essentially this time last year? Yeah, uh, I think this week in particular, whenever you're looking at Leinster, there's going to be so much talk about last season because, of course, there's so much that you can say about what happened last season, you know, second whenever at the at the RDS and how much that's going to factor into the psyche uh, and whatnot. So whenever we're in that position of we're going into a game that historically you have to look back on at last year, it, it it's natural to then look back to last year and go, well, what did they do right last year? What what worked last year that they can bring into this year but for me I understand that the team hasn't changed massively in terms of playing personnel but there are changes from season to season that just sort of I want want to say like subconsciously happen in the background and for me have we seen that performance yet from Ulster where they have managed to put everything together I'm not saying a perfect performance but just where you know you feel like everything's clicking in, in the same game we hadn't seen that this time last year though like I think that gets sort of over overlooked and forgotten about the fact that I was going to say rubbish rubbish is too strong a word but also were not good even though they were winning games at the start of last season and then you had the Connacht game which was a disaster and then at this time of year you had the Leinster game fair enough they did lose the Ospreys game but they hit a height in this block of the season that they never came close to hitting in the first block of the season last year. Mm. And then it almost felt like once they got to South Africa, they almost ran out of gas a bit. Like this, you know, the South Africa trip and then the European games kind of dented that season and then they never really got back to those levels that they hit really in December through... I suppose really December through January. Like it, was really, it really was a sort of two-month run, but it encompassed so much because you had that first game or the game against Leinster in the RDS and then you had all four of your European games. Like there were some, you know, they kept the kept the show rolling through the Six Nations with that sort of Dragons game in the wind and stuff. But like December and January 
really was sort of um, where they hit that peak and where you really sort of need to hit a peak, certainly mm. the way that the season is structured now, because you can sort of muddle your way through the first weeks of the season uh, in the ERC, picking up enough points. And, like, you know, even Monster, like Monster have had a terrible start to the season, but we see now that they've won a couple of games and all of a sudden things don't look so bad. So I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but I would like I wouldn't put too much stock into it until we see the next three games. I understand that sounds like a cop out, but like, you know, they have been as good as they've needed to be to beat some of the teams, um, some of the lesser teams that they've played in the early weeks of the season. I still think the Lions game was certainly a worthy win of putting that in that category of big results because it was in South Africa. But one thing that I do want to get your opinion on here is the discipline, because I think this is really interesting, of how can you coach discipline? How can you get better at discipline? Because this was something that, you know, work-ons, to use the Joe Schmidt phrase, that has just become everywhere in Irish rugby in the years since. You would say the work-on is the discipline, but we were talking to Dan McFarland yesterday, Sort of, and he was saying that you know discipline isn't something that you go into in a week and work on discipline. Like we don't coach, don't be offside, you know. So I think that's an interesting area to look at because it was so so good at the start of the season. So the first five games, Ulster gave away forty penalties. So that's eight a game. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. First five games, no cards whatsoever. Brilliant. Last two games. 25 penalties combined. Three yellow cards. Not brilliant. The yellow cards... I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the yellow cards separately. Two of the yellow cards have been for stupid... One was Cormac as a chicory knocking the ball out of the hands of... Was it um, Paddy Patterson as he tried to take a quick tap penalty? or um, One of the Munster players. And then... One of them was Sam Carter on Friday, blatantly stepping across the fantastically named Geronimo Prisciantelli, um as he was taking a quick tap penalty. That's discipline you can teach, which is don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's it's a completely different thing. You know, if you're under pressure at a scrum and you're consistently uh, conceding penalties at scrums and it leads to a yellow card. That's your technique. That's scrum technique going wrong that results in a yellow card. Two of Ulster's three yellow cards are just heat of the moment. Two players making a decision that they shouldn't have made. And that to me is discipline that can be worked on, which is just simply keep your cool. You know, and they're lucky that it has, hasn't cost them in that one came against Zebra and one monster didn't fully take advantage of it down in Tillman Park. It also like, actually won that cinnamon bear at 7-5. Yeah. Like, I mean, Rory Best called it one of the stupidest penalties you will ever see on the BBC coverage. Well, it's hard, it's hard to disagree with that because, you know, the, I, I remember there was one uh, in that, the first time Ulster played Claremont in Claremont, uh, it was Dan Tui got yellow carded, or I think it was Morgan Parra took a quick tap kick and just ran straight into him. 
like there's nothing you can do about that i thought that was really harsh i thought that was power just looking for it and he, he got it um but on on friday you know your guy geronimo takes the quick tap penalty and Carter just steps across him and body checks him. Like, you've got to show better restraint. If Geronimo runs straight into him, nothing he can do. No no complaints. But I enjoy how I went first name terms. It's like, oh, you know... You're... I'm not saying that surname over and over. I, he... I think I probably got it wrong the first time, and I apologize to all Italian people out there. He's, well, he's Argentinian, actually, but you said it with such confidence that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I believed you. I should have tried to get away with it again. Um, so, yeah, like, in, in that situation, just keep your head. Like and for Sam Carter, a veteran Wallaby international, one of your import players who you're relying on to bring a lot of uh, experience into that pack, where you've got you know Callum Reed's playing, Tom Stewart's playing, Cormac Azachukwu, uh, a lot of young guys. You've got to be the one that is setting the standard here, and you're giving away a needless penalty that results in a yellow card and puts your team on the back foot at a time where they had slowed down their momentum considerably after that first 10 minutes and Zebra did have a little bit of a head of steam up. You know, cam heads, don't do that again. Um, well, well, we'll come back to Sam Carter because it, uh, he is the subject of one of our listener questions. So we'll come back to that and we'll move on without spending too much time on what was a November game against Zebra. We'll move on to Leinster in the RDS. How big a game do you think this is in terms of this season? And do you think that its importance is lessened for having won there last year and gotten the monkey off the back, so to speak? I think mentally the importance is lessened slightly because you've got the win. I mean... I don't think the RDS necessarily holds that are of like a fortress of invincibility kind of thing anymore for Ulster because they've now won there twice in what's that eight years nine years so look like that is still not a good record I'm not I'm not trying to say that two wins in nine years is a good record but twice this millennium if you want yeah, to look at it well, another way when it, whenever you consider that the RDS is a difficult place for anyone to win. You know, uh, uh, two wins in nine is actually a pretty good return compared to a lot, pretty much every other team in the league. Um, so I, I don't think necessarily that there's that fear going down to the RDS anymore. But in terms of uh, like setting a benchmark for them, I think it is important. You know, you've you've already been beaten by Leinster at home, which hurts. Because that's it, what I was going to ask. Um, is it more important for the fact that uh, Leinster have beaten you at home already this season? I, I think that's the more important thing. And you're not going to see them again until the not rights because this is you know, the interpols are so condensed now that you know you've got Connacht and Munster at Christmas time, and then that's you. Well, you heard how much you know Leinster spoke in the build up to the game at Ravenhill that being doubled up by Ulster last season really hurt them. So Ulster should be treating this the same way. They don't want to be doubled up by Leinster a year after doubling them up themselves. So that's probably the bigger motivation than you know trying to get another win at the RDS. It's probably looking at it as you beat us in our back garden, we want to beat you in our back garden. And as you say, the win at the RDS last season, all right, it was followed by that loss at the Liberty Stadium. 
but the win at the RDS was kind of the thing that kick-started this run of form that Ulster went on that saw them win all their games in Europe that saw them uh, qualify for the for the knockouts that saw them take a step up in the in the URC so it could be a similar situation this time as well uh, this could be the result that potentially allows them to kick on into December into January start to really get that momentum going they don't have the trip to South Africa to, well sorry <laughs> they might have a trip to South Africa again um, which allegedly allegedly they want we should uh, we should stress yes. that but I think the, I, I don't think the motivation anymore is the whole we have to win the RDS I think it is now more about the fixture in isolation if you get what I'm saying you know it's it's not about that historic Ulster can't win in the RDS it's now about Ulster just want to beat Leinster because Leinster are the best team in this league and they want to light on a marker so I think that's a healthy mind space to be in for Ulster compared to where they've been going into this game in previous years um so I, I think they'll be they'll be up for this one for sure and I suppose the kind of argument of what it means to do the double in the season is provided by the fact that Munster did it to Ulster last season, which is completely forgotten about given how the knockout game went. But what do you think we're going to see in terms of team selection? Because the Leinster injury update is obviously decidedly more comprehensive than the Ulster one and really does indicate that with or without Johnny Saxon, and we know Robbie Henshaw is going to be out, but we're going to see a strong Leinster team admittedly one that could have a few guys that are short of game time well it's, it's got to be full strength for Ulster you know they put out sort of a half and half team last week against Zebra you know you had no Burns no Cooney no Alan O'Connor well McCluskey wasn't there well McCluskey sorry I'm, I'm not including the international players because I figured that they were going to be missing anyway so it's it's not like they were rested it was kind of an enforced break um well, I, well, sorry, I imagine guys like Mike Lowry probably could have played, given that they didn't feature during the Autumn Nation series. Well, of, essentially, you know, as we saw, sorry, with the Connacht game and, the, and Connacht and Munster, like, you are allowed to play these guys in seven of the nine games. It's just mm. up to you which seven you play mm -hmm. them in, so they have to rest in two of them. I suppose Ulster have got one of them quite sensibly out of the way for a lot of those guys. Mm -hmm. And... um no disrespect to the Italians, but you're maybe looking at the Benetton game as the other one when you, <laughs> when you get them out of the way. So, but if you're going into Europe, and I, I don't, I don't love framing this whole thing around, you know, preparing for Europe because Leinster is is obviously a massive game, and arguably it's probably the one that you want to win most out of, you know, just provincial rivalry. You want to lay down a marker against Leinster. Um, going down to the RDS you hear some of the guys saying it's, it's one of their favourite trips of the season just because you're playing Leinster and, and what it means it's our so, favourite trip of the season just because it's an hour and a half down the road instead of the four hours that it takes to get anywhere else <laughs> are you saying you don't enjoy sitting in an airport with me John? well it was more some of our more recent trips to Galway and uh, <laughs> Limerick um, but the, the, to get back to my point if you're looking at having guys ready to go for Europe you have to play Cooney this week you have to play Burns this week you have to play O'Connor this week um, you have to get Lowry back in uh, probably Timoney but I, I know he played during the or in the 
uh, Fiji game, but you, you have to get these guys back in. Otherwise, you're going into your back-to-back European games with some guys who haven't played for a month, nearly a month and a half, which just is not good preparation. So I think you're going to see a, a very strong Ulster team for for this game, and I think they're going to go with it all both barrels blazing. Which is great um, in terms of the game in and of itself, but also in terms of the league table, because eight, ga- or eight points at the top, this was put to McFarland yesterday, by one of our colleagues, eight points could become 13 points or it could become three points. There is, uh, in football parlance, it's a six-pointer. It's a massive game in terms of how things are set up because we're going to see now a sort of stop-start ERC between Europe and the Six Nations. And then when you come out of that, there's only a handful of games left. So the result here, more so than anything else, more so than performance or anything, is going to have a big say on how we're looking at the rest of the ERC schedule, whether you're looking at it in terms of do we want to see Ulster pushing for top spot? Are they pushing for second spot? Or, well, I don't think they're going to fall far enough to say that they're only pushing for top four. But Well, to even take a wider view of this, what's the thing that the ERC, um, before at the Pro 14, Pro 12, whatever it was called, Magners, Celtic League, Magners, Celtic League. the Rabu. Oh, remember the Robin. <laughs> um, what the, what's the thing that's been the biggest criticism of the league down the years? And it's diluted fixtures between the big teams because they'll be played during international windows whenever you can't see the best players on offer. It looks like you're going to have two more or less full-strength teams in a game between first and second in the league. And it's genuinely between the two teams that you would say at the moment are first uh, you know the top two teams in the league you can maybe throw one of the South African teams into the mix there potentially but I don't think too many people would argue whenever I say these are the two best teams in the league at present and you're going to have them going all guns blazing in a game just before Europe the URC will be absolutely thrilled at that because this is what we used to see every year. Leinster used to play Munster every year before Europe. Mm-hmm. So uh, by stealth, this is just some sort of way of uh, admitting <laughs> that uh, Ulster and Leinster are now the two best teams. Well, they, they could move it to the Aviva and that would really uh, enhance that belief. Um, so so I, that, that for me is quite exciting that you have finally got a game where you're not having to wait until the end of the season for the knockouts to see these guys going head-to-head. It's a regular season game where you're going to get an early look at how these two teams match up against each other. And that, to me, is very exciting and something that a lot of people should be looking at and thinking, well, that's a good step forward. Like, the URC has gotten a lot of criticism down the years, and for some of the things that they've done, it's rightly so, but the fixture scheduling and trying to arrange games in a way that you do get these sides going full bore against each other, it's working. Yeah, absolutely. Big game. Looking forward to it. Um, looking forward to all the games this month, I suppose. But um, this is a good sort of launching pad into Europe. I know you say you don't want to frame it around Europe, but uh, we had asked for uh, listener questions, bringing back an old segment from our previous podcast. And we've got some good ones. So I'm interested to hear what you think about some of these. I'm going to just go in uh, sequential order more than anything else. Um, so naturally, the first one we had in was uh, from our friend Donal of uh, Weekly Donal fame. 
uh, who tongue in cheek asked about Marcel Katsia, but uh, I saw that <laughs> he's he's now in Japan, loving life by the by what I've seen on his Instagram story. So he's he's it at Kobe, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we ended up there in the World Cup. It's an unbelievable city, so I can see why uh, he would be enjoying himself. And every South African that ever comes to Ulster seems to. Uh, love talking about the braai so I can only imagine the amount of uh, Kobe beef that uh, Marcel could see it could consume during his stint there but anyway so Donal asks the battle for Irish shirts is going to be intense at the weekend Larry, Hume, Balakun, Stockdale all have a lot to prove so how big given how many interviews that we've had this year already how big a part in I suppose what is essentially Six Nations selection is this Interpro going to have because what you say there is important two full strength teams because we probably won't see that over Christmas traditionally we see players rest of them yeah it, it'll it'll play a role I think I think there's always a danger of overstating how much one game can matter like I, I, I don't disagree that games like this play a big influence you know being able to prove that you can do it on the on the big stage in the big games is important because every six nations game is big every game you play for ireland is big so you need to be able to produce whenever the chips are down and whenever you're coming up against guys who you're going up against for jerseys guys you would potentially be going up against if you're playing in the six nations you know people always overlook these games where let's say ulster play uh, play the scarlets and Jonathan Davis is starting at 13, James Hume is starting at 13. Well, to me, that's a pretty big game for James Hume as well because you're going up against a guy who you could potentially be going up against for Wales. So it it's not necessarily that it is specifically this game. It's more who you're going up against. You know, if... And I, I, I'm singling him out here. It's, it's not specifically just James Hume, you know, and anybody who's going for international selection... If James Hume has a bad game this weekend, are we saying that he's not getting called up to the Six Nations squad? Well, no, no, we're not, because he could go on an absolute tear for the next seven weeks, and in which case this game will be very quickly forgotten as just a, a down week for him. I do think it is a very important game. Or sorry, it's the start of a very important block of games for James yes. Hume, I'll put it that way, because you know he said to us yesterday that he's felt that he's playing about 60% of what he can do, mm. and was very upfront about how he's felt like he's come back from this injury. So I think it's very important for him over these because let's say he let's say he only gets six games between now and the Six Nations. The four in Europe, Leinster and one other. You know? That's important for him to show that he is back to where he was last year. I think it's important for Jacob Stockdale to show that that sort of rustiness that we saw against uh, New Zealand A, completely understandable rustiness. He hadn't played <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> you know, Jacob hasn't uh, hadn't played since the last Leinster game before he played in that New Zealand game. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an important block for him to show that he is as sharp as where he needs to be. Um, the other guys, maybe not as much, you know, Balakun and Larry, I take your point there. Like, I don't think anything that they do today is going to uh, make Andy Farrell think that guy should be starting against Wales. You know, um, mm-hmm. 
to, to me, I'm going to take your point. I think the better way to look at it is this week isn't a big game in isolation. It's the start of a big run of games. You know, Andy Farrell's not picking his team or picking his squad based on this week alone. He will pick his squad based on the next seven, eight, nine weeks as Which a whole. is exactly what we saw last year because you think about the way James Hume came back from the November having not played and then essentially just tore it up for mm-hmm. two months and then got two caps in the Six Nations from the bench as a centre. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would say if someone has a bad game this weekend, we're not going to write them off from Six Nations selection because they could absolutely tear it up for the subsequent six weeks. So, look, big game, but it's only big in the context of it's big for uh, for this block of I games. I mean, like we saw how big the idea of credit in the bank is for Farrell, given mm-hmm. that you know Keenan and Gibson Park hadn't played at all um, before they came back in for that uh, Springboks game and played very well, it should be said. Absolutely. Um, another regular uh, question. Another... <laughs> <laughs> um, from our previous podcast Big Jim are we going to see proper rotation at out half something we haven't seen in a very long time which is a great question I think because backup 10 has been a problem at Ulster for a decade essentially it's been a a changing cast of characters for 10 years and it also brings us interestingly into Jake Flanner as well um, who we hadn't spoken about from Zebra because Whenever you saw that team, that was probably one of the things that you were thinking that's going to be something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Can we run through all the former backup number 10s for Ulster? But I, feel from, like, I feel like we'll forget somebody. From Bill Johnson to Johnny McPhillips to Ian Madigan to Niall O'Connor to... Well, it sort of started with Ian Humphreys coming back. Like I yeah. think Ian, Ian Humphreys coming back was probably the last really sort of consistent, reliable back up 10 that he had mm-hmm. and then it's just as you say it's just been sort of a, a changing of the guard Sam Windsor was he Was he before or after uh, Ian Humphreys I think he was after um... it's this thing they all sort of blend into one because it's just sort of a you know they all kind of put their hand up for a little bit and then eventually just fade off again And Sam Windsor had... was a really nice guy like he got a bad uh, a bad touch from a certain Group of uh, group of fans, I think. Um, but it's he was good a- to see him tear it up in America. Like, yeah, was, um, yeah. Look, Flannery had an okay game. I don't think it's the game that he necessarily wanted to have. And again, it wasn't helped by the fact that Ulster were so reliant on their mall and everything was so stop start. Exactly. Yes, as a fly half, you really need some kind of consistency, some momentum behind you, and he just never got it. I mean, it, it didn't help that he was missing touch with a few kicks, which I'm sure he he'll want back. Um, but one of the things I noticed actually, and it's, it's probably not the thing that a fly half wants you to notice him for, but his defense was superb. He was always one to make a hit, and I, I actually noticed him make a few hits every so often, which. Um, I was very impressed with, but as you say, just the game just never got into a position where he was able to run it as he wanted to. So I hope we do get another look at him. Like that's that's the main thing. I hope this isn't like a one-off and just decide he wasn't good enough because I don't think he he did badly. I just don't think he stood out as he would have wanted. So for me, 
I don't think he's done anything to displace Billy Burns from the 10 jersey, nor do I think if he'd even had a, an outstanding game, he necessarily would have displaced Billy Burns from the 10 jersey for this upcoming run of fixtures. But I would like to hope that Ulster would give him another shot somewhere down the line. Because as we say, te- backup 10 has been such a problem for Ulster for so many years, and we've seen how much they play Billy Burns. And while I get that on one hand, Dan likes Billy and he trusts Billy which is why he keeps playing him in the big games it's also down to the fact that they haven't had a viable option to come in and spell Billy Burns in the big games and that's possibly one of the things that if you were able to have someone in the squad that you knew you could turn to even in the big games as a backup then you're at least putting a bit of pressure on Burns to have that competition at 10. I don't think over the past few years Ulster have had someone in that position where you've genuinely thought to yourself, will Billy Burns potentially not start this big game? Because it's probably one of the positions that you could write down who's going to start a big game for Ulster for the past. And even if you go back to who's been the fly half before Billy Burns and even before that and before that, 10 has always been a position for Ulster where... You're probably going to have to go back to before I started even watching the team, let alone reporting on the team. For the last time, there was a genuine competition at fly half. 2012 um, would have been the last time, I suppose, that we saw genuine debate over who was going to start a big game at 10. Um, but all, like all those guys you mentioned, we have seen sort of flashes from. But like I think back to last season and how rusty players coming into the 10 jersey would occasionally look because they just weren't you know it could be your first game in three months or whatever you know and the other concern is obviously the injury as well injuries as well like there's a you know there's a touch of the one-armed knight from monty python about billy burns sometimes <laughs> when he's uh just getting strapped up and uh runs back out there you know it's but a flesh wound yeah so uh i think in terms of Big Jim's question, rotation I think is just regular is going should mean a regular start, and I'm talking maybe like you know once a month during a block or something like that, or alternatively in these games when you have the bonus point wrapped up by halftime, you know give a guy forty minutes, you know, um, so I think that's really important. Uh, another interesting one from Brandon is where is Stuart Moore's best position because. We asked Jermur about this last week, and I think that was the first time that I got the sense from him that he's not just thinking of himself as a centre who's playing fullback anymore. I think he thinks of himself now as someone who can play centre or fullback. And just looking at Ulster and the players that Ulster have, and even the players that Ulster have coming through, obviously we know that Jude Posowitz injured, unfortunately, but. I just wonder would his best position in terms of where he's going to be most useful to Ulster now be fullback? I would say there's a degree of truth to that. I still think he's a better center. Like I, I think the question is where is his the question is where is his best position? Yeah, yeah. So his I best. I suppose whether it means you know are you taking it as where is his oh, best position for Ulster or where is his best position in terms of where he'll play the best because. Personally, I think Luke Marshall's return changes the answer to this. 
from this season to last season, if you get me. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, you can take it in different ways. For me, Murr's best position, if, if you give me a blank team sheet and said put Stuart Murr on that team sheet, for me his best position is centre. And I think, ideally, I would like to see him play there more. But, but the flip side of that is if he plays there more, uh, if he plays there <laughs> more, no pun intended, um, what does that mean? That you're seeing less of Hume, you're seeing less of McCluskey, you're seeing less of Marshall? Well, I think you're going to be without McCluskey and Hume. Like Once Hume gets back to full capacity, I think he's away with Ireland. I think McCluskey's now put himself in a position where he's going to be away with Ireland. It's only and really three games, that though, you know, the two during the Six Nations and the one before. No, I I. I I take your point, but I think both of them, whenever they are playing well, and especially as a partnership, I think have to be called up to the Ireland squad. I think they're two of the best. Uh, I think they're two of the best four centres in Ireland. And I understand we had that discussion last week of how many centres are going to go to the World Cup. And I, I would agree with you that I think it's only going to be three. But for the Six Nations, I think you're going to have four named in the squad. And I would hope that both of them are in it and if not one of them are going to be in it so I think Murr's best position is centre it's the position he's come through at and I think because he's been playing fullback so much you forget that he is an extremely good centre so I think what you forget is and it's a testament to how he's looked at fullback now I know he had a couple of struggles against Munster but I think it's a testament to how well he's played at fullback that you almost forget that whenever he was first put at fullback and you were asking him have you ever played there before and he was racking his brain I was like I can't really remember mm. <laughs> and you know Jared Payne was basically taking him through in the captain's run mm. of where he needed to stand for various different things you know um, I think you're probably right I think his best position is probably centre because that's what he's most comfortable with I, I think what one of the biggest compliments that we can give him is the fact that Ulster are trying to shoehorn him into the lineup. You know, the, instead of deciding that, look, you're just going to have to bide your time while other centres are playing, it's we want you in the lineup, so would you be willing to try 15? It's 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 not like he's come through as a centre who can also play 15. Ulster have literally gone to him, we want you in our team, but we can't play at centre because the two guys who are playing centre are in such good form right now, we can't justify dropping them. So, would you be willing to try 15? So that that to me is a testament more to just his general rugby talent than anything else. But I would like to see him move back into the centre in, in some way. I, I know that's tough to do because you need to get Hume back to, to peak capacity. You need to put McCluskey back in because he's just in incredible form right now. You've got Luke Marshall who's playing so well. Like... Ulster, as it seems to be every single season, are just blessed with centres all over the place who are extremely talented players. So I, I I don't know where you factor him back in, but for me, I, I would like to see him back in there at some point. As long as he doesn't spend every press conference for the rest of his life being asked uh, what's his favourite <laughs> position a la Mike Laurie, then I'll be happy anyway. Um, well, at least we've managed to get over the Stuart McCluskey. You, do you want to try <laughs> playing flanker at some point? Yeah, that's true. Um, so just a few minutes left, so we'll just rattle through two more questions. So, John Wolf, with it looking like Dwayne Vermeulen will move on at the end of the season, what does the future of the position look like for Ulster? Personally, I think it looks like either Dwayne Vermeulen is 
tempted to not retire or they get somebody in. I was going to say who said Dwayne Vermeulen's leaving. Well, that's it, yeah. Um, <laughs> the last time we spoke to him, uh, I think he said that he wasn't sure he, what he was going to do beyond yeah, the end of the season. So. Well, I think he said he would have to ask his wife was actually his answer oh, to the sorry. question. But <laughs> that certainly sounded like a man that uh, hadn't ruled out playing on anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, whether it is Dwayne Vermeulen or whether it's, you know, they go target somebody like a Jasper Visa or somebody like that, I think that it's probably going to be another another import. You do realise you're about to send Twitter wild that you've just mentioned a player's name. <laughs> the fact that you mentioned anybody's name is going to have people... Uh, a number eight that happens talking. to be out of contract. Yeah. <laughs> the the only thing I'll add, just, just to close, is that I think Dwayne Vermeulen fits perfectly into what Ulster do, or what Ulster want out of their number eight, which is not necessarily that big ball carrier but a very technically astute player and someone who is still a big threat on the floor so I think that's I, I think if they're looking for a replacement for Vermeulen it's not going to be in the mould of say Nick Williams or Pedri Vandenberg it's probably going to be Vermeulen 2.0 but we'll see but that's uh, that's for another time. You can follow all of the action from the RDS Arena on Saturday on the Belfast Telegraph website. I will be on live blog duty as per always. Jonathan will be handling the report and all the best reaction from the big game. And it will also be in Sunday Life and the Belfast Telegraph uh, early next week. Neve will be back next week, which I'm sure you'll all be very glad to hear. She'll be able to keep us on on track for most of the podcast as opposed to just going off in wild tangents and we will be back next week too to look back on Leinster and ahead to Europe finally getting underway. Until then, stay safe and enjoy your rugby.